Welcome back to another episode of Single Payer Radio. Single Payer Radio is a project of Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare. We are an affiliate of the Kentucky Chapter of Physicians for our National Health Program, and we're proud to be a community partner with Forward Radio WFMP LP 106.5. Please join the Forward Radio family as a financial contributor or a volunteer. We're an all-volunteer radio station. You can go to forwardradio.org. Join us. And let me say the views and opinions expressed here on single-payer radio are those of the speakers and not the station. And real quickly, let me share with you a, uh, a hospital bill that my sister shared with me uh, this past weekend. It's a bill for four days inpatient care at Saints Mary and Elizabeth Hospital that was located down on 12th Street at the time. Okay, here we go, folks. This is January 1954. Four days for hospital care. Uh, she was only in the hospital once, and she was there for angina. But four days of hospital care, it was $11.50 per day. So that was $46. There was a lab fee for those four days of $5. Pharmacy and drugs, five forty-five. dollars X-ray, $10, oxygen, $11, electrocardiogram, $12.50. A four-day hospital stay was $89.95. This bill looks like something I would get at Oscar's hardware store when I go down there. So my how times have changed. <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> okay, so joining us back in the studio, as they have been since early spring, are doctors Eugene Shively and Michael Flynn. And I'm going to turn it over to the doctors right now. Okay, I'm a uh, retired general surgeon from Campbellsville, Kentucky, and I'm uh, want to say that uh, everything I say is that of my own. I don't represent uh, Taylor Regional Hospital in Campbellsville, nor the Department of Surgery at the uh, University of Louisville. Uh, a purpose of uh, this program is for education, and right now things are changing so rapidly that things may be different from one day to the next. So we don't try to say that uh, everything that we say is uh, a fact and it could change. And uh, uh, we try to have good news, not fake news. Yeah, um, and this is Michael Flynn. I, I'm a retired surgical oncologist. I was on the faculty at the University of Louisville for 30 years and currently a, an emeritus professor. And uh, as a disclaimer, I would also like to indicate that any views expressed here by me are my personal views and do not represent the views of either the Department of Surgery or the University of Louisville. So Dr. Krauss, let me, aside from thanking you for being here, 
Uh, I really don't know very much about the German healthcare system. So I, I was wondering if maybe as an opening statement or setting the table, if you like, you could give us a kind of a little historical background of, you know, how the current system got started, uh, whatever changes have, may have occurred from whenever it, it was at the beginning of that system. I mean, we know the National Health Service in Britain started in 1946, I think. So, and, and just to give us an idea uh, of, because I have very, I have very little knowledge of the of the details of the healthcare system in Germany. Sure. So I would say that um, that started back um, about a hundred years ago. I would say um, in the early twentieth century, um, even before the First World War, where um, Germany started to have some kind of a social um, healthcare system, and that has um, evolved since then, and um, currently. To give you a little bit of an overview, we do have um, socialized healthcare um, where we basically everybody has um, a basic health insurance um, that is paid for um, partially by the employer and partially by the employee. And then there is the option to have additional um, private insurance if you meet certain requirements. Um, only a small amount of people. Um, use that because the basic health insurance is um is 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 very um con uh, comprehensive now the funding um i'm assuming that is that general taxation or uh, or you know in this country that there's sort of employers may may have some uh, uh part of the payment some the the uh, the individual employee or the patient so there there's a number of uh different ways that that money goes into the system so how how does that uh what's the funding background of the of the german system so the funding background is that for the basic health insurance um the employer and employee both pay 50 percent um off it and that goes into, um, it comes out of their tax um, returns, basically their, their, um, their uh, wages. And um, that goes into big funds. And then the um, basic health insurance companies use that and it gets distributed between those. Um, there's not a big difference between the different basic healthcare insurances companies because everything is regulated on a national level. So regardless of which of the basic um, health insurance companies you use, um, it is still the same um, amount of um, cost that you would pay for certain services. Um, and so that's how things go into the fund and how they are taken out of the fund. Um, if a person has no health insurance whatsoever because they are unemployed, um, or um, they're retired, then this, the, the state pays for it. What percentage of patients are in that situation where they're totally unemployed or destitute and uh, the state has to pay for their services? Well, I don't have an exact number, but I would say that's maybe five. 10% max. I mean, it's a, it's a small um, amount and it can, that number can change. I mean, as soon as people get employed, then they would be off that list and they would contribute to the funds. 
Now, the way I understand what you just said is that the uh, the, the national uh, government negotiates or works with health insurance companies. Is that correct? To provide that health, the 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 components of health care to the citizens. Is, is, is that a fair statement? It is, but it is um, the same for each of the health care insurance like companies for the basic, the state-based ones. So okay. they all pay the same. And so sometimes people, you know, they switch easily between one or the other if they have to, but it doesn't really make a big difference because they all um, pay the same amount. Okay, two follow-up questions. Number one, as you know, we have Medicare and Medicaid in this country, which are government-run health insurance programs, and we have a whole bunch of for-profit health insurance companies that provide health insurance in an assortment of different ways. Some of them are directly paid by the individual, some are paid by the company, and even some negotiate with the government. Um, is, is there a, a sort of a, an equivalent to Medicare and Medicaid in the German system? That's the one question. The second question then is, are these insurance companies that the, 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 they, the government negotiates with, are they not for profit or for profit or what, what's their status? So to answer your first question, um, there is no direct equivalent to Medicare, Medicaid. It is the basic health insurance that everybody has regardless of their age, regardless of, you know, their status, if they're pregnant or not. Um, and so I guess you could kind of compare maybe the basic German basic health insurances to the Medicare and Medicaid system, but that's like throughout the entire lifespan of a person. Um, and then you have the um, for-profit um, insurances, insurance companies, um, which you can, an individual can only um, add into, like take on their services if they um, make above a certain amount of income a year. So the state does not want people to spend more than necessary costs on healthcare if they don't want to and can't afford it. So currently it's about 88 um, to 89% of all um, German citizens are insured through the basic um, health insurance companies and the other 11 to 12% have additional these private insurances that for-profit um, and what the for-profit um, insurances um, give you is basically that you get um, a single room at the hospital if you're admitted you get to see um, a professor or a certain um, doctor in the system um, so those are kind of the advantages of having the additional health insurance but to be honest with you, most people do not need it because the basic health insurance is, is very good. Why would someone select a private insurance? Well, in case that they want to see a specific physician. So there are some physicians that are contracted with the private health insurance companies um, and others are not. So if they, if they want to see one doctor, um, they would potentially pay that extra amount if they want faster service um, if they want to have a single you know private room in the hospital after surgery that's why they would pay it for but um, otherwise there's really not a 
not any good reasons for it. Let, let me ask you another uh, question on economics. Uh, one of the things that uh, <laughs> I've learned from Gene as we as we went through this, uh, go through these series of of of, uh, of programs, is that uh, there's about three point I don't know four or five trillion dollars in this country is spent is revenue that is in the healthcare system. Uh, but about a third of that is not used to provide health care. It ends up going into uh, executive pockets. It is used for advertising, a whole series of other things, the pharmaceutical industry. Do you have a, a sense of how much of the revenue um, that's in the German system is actually used to provide health care as opposed to being uh, siphoned off for some other purpose, uh, you know, like an executive's uh, uh, outrageous compensation? I don't think I have a specific amount for you, but I would say that is definitely less than what it is in the U.S. because there's no, for example, advertising for drugs is not allowed. That's okay. maybe something we can talk about later. And so you have a lot less money to spend on these non-directly medically related issues. Do, do you think um, not advertising for drugs affects uh, outcomes uh, and uh, affects uh, the ability of the patient to get certain drugs in Germany? No. So patients will get the drugs that they, um, that they need to improve their condition. Um, so I think it does not negatively affect the, the healthcare at all. Um, it does affect, you know, patients kind of coming to their doctors and telling them that they want to use this specific drug because they've heard that it works better for them. So that definitely is a big difference um, here compared to Germany. I mean, when I first moved to the U.S., I was like, I couldn't believe all the, you know, drug advertisements that are on TV here. So that was something completely, completely new for, for me. Now, back, back to the kind of economic issues again. Uh, one of the things that uh, uh, we've learned as we, we kind of get into all these issues related to healthcare in this country is that um, be, between um, uh, the mid-1970s and the mid-2010s, uh, the number of administrators in this country compared to physicians <laughs> exploded almost 3,000% uh, to the extent that today there are 10 administrators to every phys practicing physician, which is probably where a lot of that those that trillion dollars of money that's not being used for health care, um, it, it goes. So I, I guess my next question is how, do you have any sense of the, the relationship uh, uh, between the number of physicians or practicing physicians in the German system compared to the number of bean counters, bureaucrats, administrators, managers, or whatever you want to call these people? I would say it's a lot less than what it is in the US. I don't have an exact number because that's just not as big of a deal in Germany. Um, I mean, I guess it's important to define what exactly is meant by administrators, but um, there is a lot less of that um, in Germany. It's really 
it's the insurance companies, it is the physicians. Um, we have, you know, nurses who help. Um, we have the, the support staff in the offices, but besides that, there's really no additional administrators. Um, there's no nurse practitioners, APRNs, LPNs um, in Germany either. I don't know if you, you know, if you would consider those, you know, along with administrators, but we don't have any of those in Germany. Yeah, no, I don't consider, I consider those healthcare professionals. I'm talking about the bean counters, the guys with the suits that sit behind the computers, jerking them off and, and you know, diverting money all over the place, <laughs> except for the use of healthcare. Do you have So a that, so if, yeah. if a patient comes to see you in Germany and uh, you make a diagnosis and order certain tests, uh, do you have to get pre-authorization and go all through the rigmarole that we'd have to in this country? Or you, can you just call the insurance company and they approve it and you uh, have it done and then they reimburse you? So it's the latter. So everything, you, it does not have to be approved unless it is something very specific or unusual for the general basic health insurance. The um, private health insurances, they are a little trickier sometimes to where you have to get a pre-authorization or they don't want to cover it or they want a letter from the physician stating that, um, you know, this is medically necessary. But otherwise, no. Anything that you order um, is, is usually paid for and it's paid for at a specific rate. So it does not, the rate does not differ to which hospital you have the service done, which physician you see or which insurance company you, you work with. Uh, many uh, primary care physicians, uh, including OBGYN, claim that they have to spend several hours uh, doing paperwork in the United States, uh, filling out electronic medical records. Uh, do German physicians have to spend that much time uh, doing paperwork and filling out electronic medical records? Well, the time that they're spending on these things is increasing but it is nowhere near where it is in the U.S. currently. I think a big reason for that is that there's less malpractice um, lawsuits in Germany in general. And so therefore, you know, people don't have to go through, jump through all those hoops to make sure that everything has been documented. They, they basically take it for granted that they have talked to the patient about it. They, the patient understands it and that's, that's all there needs to be done. So there's less time that they spend, but the time is increasing as well overall. Why, are, are, go, go ahead, Jane. I'll... Why do you think there are less uh, uh, malpractice suits and uh, 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 problems like that in the United States compared to Europe and particularly Germany? Um, I think there's less, you know, malpractice suits in Germany for one reason. Phys uh, patients trust their physicians more. Um, they do not seek second opinions as much as people seek them here. And there are no, the, the malpractice like lawyers, um, that does not really exist in Germany. So it's just a much more positive way of thinking in regards to the interaction between patients and physicians. Now, if a patient does get harmed in, in uh, Germany, for example, they had a hysterectomy and they had a complication, uh, 
the German healthcare system continues to pay for that. And uh, uh, the, if there were a lawsuit, it would be paid for something unusual. Is that correct? Correct. I mean, it's very rare to have lawsuits in Germany. The, the first time I really heard about that um, was when I moved to the U.S. And certainly if something, you know, wrong gets done, then that will be um, investigated and the healthcare system would continue to, um, to pay for any consequences of that. Uh, <clears throat> let's move off to a, a, a little different um, little aspect of this. Uh, one of the major causes of bankruptcy in this country is our, um, is our medical. People being unable to pay their medical bills. We have a, about 30, 40 million people who are uninsured and another 30, 40 million people who are underinsured. And these people are all vulnerable to medical bankruptcy. And depending upon the year and whatever reference source you're looking at, we could have anywhere from 200 to five or 600,000 medical bankruptcies in this country on an annual basis. Um, I read an article, uh, I don't know, a few months ago, I was putting a talk together, <clears throat> indicated in 2017, the country of France that has 70 million people had zero, no medical related bankruptcies in 2017. So, and the question is how much of an issue is that in, in Germany with your current system? It is not an issue at all. The first time that I heard of medically related bankruptcies was when I moved to the US. So that is something that does not exist in Germany. Again, because everybody has that basic health insurance even if they are unemployed. And certainly, you know, the German, um, but um, I think um, in case of a medical emergency, everybody gets treated properly without having to fear bankruptcy. So that's a big difference. Dr. Krauss, can you review uh, the services that are covered under the German healthcare system? Whether I would say that pre pretty much everything is covered. Um, any, you know, preventative services, the Germans are very, um, they focus a lot on preventative health care to um, decrease chronic conditions um, and their sequelae. Um, and so everything is covered. If somebody needs surgery, that is covered. Um, some things, if the private insurance companies are starting to be less covered. For example, if you go to rehab after um, a big surgery, they used to cover maybe 12 weeks. Now they only cover eight weeks. Um, if you want specific um, equipment for your home to be able to move around after an accident, that sometimes is a little tricky to, to get, but otherwise really everything is covered. Well, suppose I wanted to, to go to a plastic surgeon and have a facelift so I could get rid of all the wrinkles on my face. Is that covered by the German system? <laughs> that is not covered. That is not covered. So that would not be considered um, medically necessary. But like, for example, plastic surgeons for burn injuries, um, that would be covered. Okay. Mental health services, um, maternity services long-term care um yes all of that is covered um <clears throat> jane go ahead uh, 
what do you think uh, are the good parts of the United States medical system <laughs> compared to Germany and vice versa? What's good about the German care that we should adopt uh, in our country? As you know, um, we spend uh, approximately $3.5 trillion on healthcare in the U.S. That represents the fifth largest economy in the world. It's very close to the GNP of Germany, uh, and uh, about a third of that is wasted. Do you have any ideas how we can uh, start thinking in the next few years how to change that and uh, create a more economical system? Well, that's a that's a difficult question to answer because it has a lot of different you know aspects or thoughts to it. But um, let me start with the positive. So, I think um, the good things in the U.S. healthcare system is that we have um, cutting edge um, in regards to research and technology. Um, there is more technology involved. Um, I believe than in Germany. So in Germany, there's still a lot more relying on physical exam and taking a medical history. Um, the one of the problems I think is that the cost for services in the U.S. is just um, too high and um, hard to impossible to predict really what certain services will cost or what certain um, medications will cost. And it, it is very confusing because there are so many different systems and depending on where you get um, a service performed um, or where you get your medications, there can be a huge range of costs. And that is very confusing for patients and it's, it's impossible to navigate. Um, the other big thing that I think, um, you know, is a, a big difference is the way that um, how the system and the individual people and patients um, value um, their um, the importance for preventative health care. So I believe that in Germany, people um, spend a lot more focusing on staying healthy without having to see a doctor. So they like to, um, they walk a lot more, they bike to work, um, they um there's not as much fast food available. And so that shows us that there's some systemic things that are in the U.S. that are harder for people, I believe, to, um, to stay healthy. So, for example, you know, um, fast food is cheaper and easily, more easily available than healthy food. Um, the free soda refills, I know those are little things, but they do add up. And so I think a lot of the problems that cause a lot of money in the uh, cost a lot of money in the U.S. healthcare system are from um, chronic conditions that could potentially um, be prevented. Uh, I would agree with you that the the best thing we do in this country is that we 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 have a, a process of researching, developing everything from a new procedure to uh, to a technique to to a device. Uh, to a chemotherapy agent, and um, I'm hopeful that we will do this as a program in the future. Um, let me kind of, again, take us in a little different direction. Uh, we talked about Medicare earlier. Um, the United States Congress, in its wisdom, I think in 2003, 2004, I can't remember exactly the date, 
uh, they, uh, <laughs> when they, quote, modernized, unquote, uh, Medicare and established something called Part D, um, they, they passed this law that literally prevented the uh, Medicaid, uh, Medicare, excuse me, which is the largest purchaser of drugs in the world from negotiating with the drug companies. Uh, again, in the wisdom of Congress, they put together, they put these people called pharmacy benefit managers in charge of this. Uh, these are frequently people working in for-profit companies that were supposed to um, uh, negotiate <laughs> a better fee for the drugs. And, and, and in fact, what's, exact, what's happened in this country is the drug companies can do whatever they want. So with that sort of rambling uh, <laughs> beginning, how, do, how does the German uh, healthcare system w work out the details of what drugs are available, uh, how much they cost? If you have two or three drugs that all do the same thing, do they all need to be on the market? And how's that managed? Sure. So first of all, there are no pharmacy benefit managers in Germany. That does not exist. Um, the insurance providers are allowed to have certain discount agreements with certain drug companies. Um, if a patient has a prescription for a certain agent, then the pharmacy is obligated to offer one of the four cheapest products. Um, the composition and the ingredients of these products um, prescribed and the replaced drug covered by the insurance has to be exactly identical. So it's a little different from here where the FDA allows um, plus minus 20%, I believe, of the ingredient in the generics. Um, and then the costs for the prescription drugs are the same at every pharmacy. So you do not, as a patient, have to go to a specific pharmacy system to get that cheaper drug. It's the same regardless of it, which pharmacy you um, cover. There's usually no mail order services. Um, the prescriptions are, the length for the prescription is given at the discretion of the physician. And so usually physicians would write for about a six month supply or for a one year supply. And the patient can actually fill that entire supply at the pharmacy at a one time visit. So they do not have to come back every month to get a refill, which can increase the compliance. Um, and then there's no there are no, um, there's no drug advertising on um, TV. It is illegal for drug companies to advertise prescription drugs to people other than doctors or pharmacists. And so there's actually a uh, pharmaceutical advertising law which, which states that. So that is quite different um, from the US. And like I said, when I first moved here and started watching TV, I was just flabbergasted at all the the, the average drug advertising commercial that just does not exist in Germany. Now, who, who, who oversees this? Uh, in Canada, uh, the Ministry of Health has a, a, I don't know exactly remember what the name is, that they have a drug uh, committee. And the drug committee reviews the, the, the various drugs that are coming into Canada uh, they, you know, they determine their effectiveness and, and they also determine some sort of reasonable cost. It costs 10 times more to get a, whatever, you know, an equivalent dose of, of insulin in this country compared to Canada. 
So is there a um, is there a regulatory body who's overseeing all this and, and supervising it, or is this, I, I'm not exactly sure how that works in Germany. Well, um, the German health ministry is involved in that, and there are laws that, base, I, I believe most of the um, pharmaceuticals in Germany are actually still made in Germany, and so there's no problem if, um or they're made by a German pharmaceutical company. And so there's no, um, the, the, the problem that um, importing drugs from other countries is, is not as big of a problem as it is here. It's just, I mean, if you get a generic, it is somewhat cheaper than the brand name, but it is not 10 times as cheap. Let me just say you're listening to Single Payer Radio here on WFMP 106.5 with retired surgeons and emeritus professors, Dr. Michael Flynn and Eugene Shively. And today our guest is Dr. Miriam Krauss. We're discussing the German healthcare model. What if um, a new drug comes out that's very expensive, let's say it's a monoclonal antibody and it's for a, um, some unusual disease <clears throat> and the drug company uh, is having trouble putting a cost on that drug. Uh, in, in America, we pay for half of the entire drug uh, cost in the entire world. How does the German system decide how much we pay for that drug and, and how long they're gonna pay for it? Um, I would, I don't know the exact details of the process, but I know that there are no such things where a new drug costs $100,000. That just does not exist. So I believe that um, the there are regulations in place that say how expensive um, that drug can be. And once a drug has been on the market for a certain time frame, then um, generics can be made of it. So you cannot have a generic available of the same drug right away. There's like a patent on the drug. I don't know if that goes along with your question right now, but um, so as long as that patent is established, it's only the company that um, involved, that developed it that can market it and make it, produce it. And then after that time frame is over, then the generics can be, um, can be added. Um. If I was a German citizen and went out of the country, uh, let me, I'm going to tell a bit of a story here, but then get to get you going where you need to go. And the question is whether your healthcare travels. Uh, we were out in Colorado a year or two ago, and uh, <clears throat> after dinner sitting, we went to a little bar where a couple of young men were um, playing guitars and howling at the moon. And... Um, I sat next to a man at the end of the bar, and uh, he turned out to be a Swiss citizen. And we got to talking about some of these things, and he pulled his wallet out and showed me a card. He was a he he was a Swiss mountain biker, and um, and explained to me that if he had some kind of uh, accident, you know, riding his mountain bike down the side of Mount Crested Butte, which I think is a form of insanity for somebody that old, uh, he could actually be flown back to Switzerland to get care. 
Now, uh, I don't know about Gene, but every time I go out of the country, it costs me three or $400 to get health insurance that, that will uh, allow me to get evacuated from Ecuador or wherever I happen to be back to this country so I don't have to stay wherever I am uh, and, and get Medicare. So how does, how does this work in the German healthcare system? Yes. Um, so I guess there's two different scenarios. The first one, if you traveled, if in the um, European Union, um, most healthcare insurances do cover any medical costs that would be, um, that would need to be applied if you were traveling in the European Union. Um, certainly each state in the, each country in the U European Union has kind of its own uh, preset, I guess, treatments that are done or provided in that country. And so there are some specifics in each country, but overall um, that travel is usually covered and you do not need any additional um, healthcare insurance, um, mainly because, um, you know, a lot of people travel all over the U uh, work all over the European Union. If you travel outside of the European Union, let's say a German um, citizen comes to the U.S., um, then they would usually get travel insurance. And that is a lot more affordable than in the U.S. Um, basically, a person can choose uh, to have a travel insurance for a specific time period, like the two weeks that they are traveling. They can pay for six trips a year, each trip being less than about 30 days long. Or you can pay for travel coverage for an entire year. So there's a lot of different um, options. And this travel insurance is usually very affordable. Um, the cost does increase with age and depending on where you go um, and also what activities you plan on doing. So the, the, the guy that you met at the bar, the, the mountain biking, may have to pay um, slightly more just because of the activity that he's doing than somebody who just goes and lies on the beach. Um, if you do bungee jumping, if you do diving, those are things that would increase the cost. But... Overall, again, the travel insurance is very affordable and it is really only used for emergencies and most Germans, as long as nothing crazily unexpected happens, will not have to use it. But it does um, allow, you know, air back, back to Germany um, and things like that. Uh, how does the German system decide which brand new technology is becomes available and how do they use it? For example, uh, robotic surgery, uh, which is becoming very popular in the U.S. Uh, we have uh, general surgeons who are doing cholecystectomies with a robot and fixing inguinal hernias with a robot. Uh, we have uh, 3D mammograms, uh, which are questionably uh, better than regular mammograms, but uh, it is being pushed by predominantly by marketing, by the people who make these devices. How, how does that system uh, work with in Germany and how do they decide who uses it and whether it can be used or not? So um, there have to be studies that compare the new technology the, the standard technology. And then um, the medical societies, let's say the um, surgical medical, German surgical medical society will give their input in whether they believe that this is a 
better option for treatment or diagnostics than the the standard option. If people agree on that, then the um, basic healthcare insurance will then say, yes, we do cover the service. If they believe that it's not any superior to the standard treatment, then um, it will not be covered. So that's where, for example, if you do have the additional private insurance, they may be more likely to pay that newer technology um, than the basic healthcare insurance companies. Um, Go ahead. Uh, <clears throat> let's uh, talk a little bit about how um, a research or development is managed in, in Germany. Um, in this country, if um, let's say there, uh, there's a there's an operation, a new operation that was developed, uh, which being investigated, in which uh, if, if you have a cancer of the pancreas, um, the surgeon places electro, electro, electrodes around the tumor, uh, <laughs> turns on the juice, and it creates an electrical field that uh, destroys the tumor. I mean, this is, this is the idea. So in order to uh, have this investigated, it goes through a process where they do a few of these, um, maybe on um, mice or rabbits or some other situation. And then they, they do a small study, a pilot study with 15 or 20 humans who've, who've agreed to have this done. And, and uh, having identified that this may be of some benefit uh, then they, this study is expanded, and uh, it, it falls into what's called a phase one study, where they use a, a larger number of patients. They have very strict protocols about uh, how it's done, how the information is collected, and assuming they identify that there's some benefit in doing this, then they move on to what's called a phase two study, where they further investigate the effectiveness as well as to determine what the risks might be. So this is another, another step. And again, you and look, looking at larger numbers of, of patients, and this can be a study that's carried out in multiple institutions, and each institution may do three or four patients, and, and, and it all goes into some central uh, uh, database. And then, uh, assuming that this, this idea gets past the safety and effectiveness, then it goes into some phase three study where it, it can be compared with other treatments or compared with some other, other, other um, some way of evaluating it. Uh, uh, these activities uh, are overseen by... Uh, institutions called institutional review boards. Um, these are groups of people who usually work at universities, but uh, they, they may, may be independent. And so every, every study that comes through the University of Louisville, whether it's a phase one, two, or three, is, uh, is initially reviewed and then followed closely by by these institutional review boards. 
what kind of a process exists in Germany to allow somebody to come up with an idea for an operation or a drug company to come up with what they think is going to be a new drug, a monoclonal antibody that may be effective against a specific type of cancer, and put it through the process of determining, one, whether it's effective, and two, whether it's safe. So I believe that that um, system or the different steps that you just uh, mentioned, those are very similar um, in Germany as well. So we have IRBs, um, we have the German Research Foundation, that is a um, nationwide um, surveillance agency. And usually uh, trials are performed at the university hospitals, teaching institutions um, where all the research is done. We have the different phases of research. Um, I believe that the input of um, like drug companies sponsoring it is less than what it is here. So it's, it's very, um, objective and it has to go through a lot of different um, reviews to make sure that the new treatment is better um, or at least as good as the current one. That's all the details I'm aware of at this point. Let me ask you, are most Germans happy with their healthcare system? I would say overall they are happy. I mean the German system is not perfect. Um, we are seeing some trends um, that we're seeing in the U.S. as well, that insurances are starting to decrease coverage of some services, but not at the same magnitude as in the U.S. And again, nobody will have to fear bankruptcy. They will get the basic treatment um, in case of a medical emergency. And I think that's, that's a good reason to be happy with it. What about uh, hospice and palliative care? Um, Oh, we were way behind on hospice and palliative care for many years, but we've now become uh, better at it and it's much more popular. Do the Germans uh, use palliative care and hospice care in patients who we don't think we, they can cure? And is that becoming popular? That is definitely being used. Um, and it is, I think, becoming more common just because um, the age of the population is increasing. Um, I'm not 100% sure on how the coverage is. I believe that after a certain amount of time, definitely um, there will be co-pays. Um, there are co-pays or the family has to chime in, but it is again not in the same magnitude as it is in the U.S. Um, just to drop back again to the, <clears throat> the IRB issue, uh, I, I've been on the University of Louisville IRB for probably 15 years, and one of the um, patterns that I've noticed is <clears throat> initially, as a member of the IRB, a good proportion of the protocols that we reviewed were from um, uh, research bodies. Uh, the Children's Oncology Group, or the RTOG, the Radiation Therapy Oncology Group. And now um, I've noticed that we, we are seeing fewer um, studies and protocols submitted by independent study groups, and more and more of these studies are, are submitted by uh, uh, drug companies. 
So there's the, there are the balance of research in this country seems to be shifting away from independent study groups to uh, 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 companies that are looking for ways to make more money. So I, I get my question related to that was, have you seen what sort of trends are, are, there, are going on in Germany or are you aware of that? Since I guess you've been away for a long time. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure on how these things are done currently. Um, my thought is that since, you know, drug advertisement is not allowed, um, that would be very much decreased if at all it was allowed. It may not be allowed at all, but like you said, that may have changed some since I've left Germany. I have a question. If, if you were um, commissioned to write a white paper on how to improve uh, American medicine, particularly from an economic standpoint. Um, what would you be some of your top items? I think my top item would be um, preventing chronic diseases by changing lifestyle, um, changing the lifestyle, making the, you know, having people try to have a better, healthier lifestyle. That's, I think, the biggest one because I believe that it affects so many different aspects of medicine. Um, the other part is just the, the, the complexity of navigating the cost of the drugs and the services um, provided if the different insurance companies in network, out of network, um, certain pharmacies that only can be used. Um, the third one is that ER, institu ER institutions, emergency rooms per se, do not exist in Germany. There are ERs available if people have a true emergency, but um, there's no ER residency. There's no ER um, specialty um, training. And so um, if people have a true emergency, they would go um, to the hospital. If it's a surgical emergency, um, they go to the surgery hospital um, and they get treated there by the, by the staff that is on call in the hospital. But ERs do not exist like they exist here. And so people use a lot more primary care um, for visits that would be seen here in the ERs. Um, there's a lot more um, better access to primary care. I think in, in Germany, there's a higher density of primary care physicians to make up for those ER visits. So um, I believe those are kind of the big things that I would focus on. Now in Germany, uh, the continuity of care uh, is done primarily through the primary care physician. Correct. And if you if your insurance changes, then you would still be able to see the same primary care physician because most of the primary care physicians are contracted with all the basic healthcare companies, health insurance companies that there are. So oftentimes here, I see that people change insurances and then they have to go see a different primary care physician and start all over again. And in Germany, you stay with your primary care physician the entire time unless you move away and, and your primary care physician would know what's wrong with you uh, he would know all your other medical illnesses he might even know you personally and so correct uh, now uh, if if it's if it's in the middle of the night and you start having abdominal pain 
uh, let's say it's 10 o'clock at night and uh, you've been at the Hofbrau house and uh, you, uh, you're having pain, would you call your primary care physician or would you go to the ER? So first of all, I think if the pain was not terrible, then people would try to just manage it at home. They would maybe take some Tylenol, they would rest, they would see what happens and try to call their doctor in the morning. Um, if it was a, um, you know, unbearable pain and they're really worried, then they would either call uh, their primary care doctor and the primary care doctor would answer the phone. Um, or again, if it is a true emergency, they, they would go um, to the hospital that's closest and then be seen by the, um, by the surgical resident or attending who's in hospital, in, in, in house there. Doctors, I, I hate to end this, but <laughs> another hour or a little less has flown by. Uh, Dr. Krauss, thank you so much for giving us a German healthcare system 101 uh, primer here. It's very helpful. Well, thank, thank you, you Bob. Your answers were very, very, very concise and very helpful. Thank you. This thank you great. all for having me. We really appreciate you coming. Okay, guys. Um, thanks again for listening to Single Payer Radio. I uh, want to let you know that Single Payer Radio is going back to a weekly format. We can be heard at Monday at 2 p.m., Tuesdays at 7 a.m., and Wednesdays at 11 a.m. That weekly format, by the time you hear this, will have already started. For more information about Kentuckians for Single Healthcare, you can go to Single Payer Healthcare. You can go to kyhealthcare.org. Doctors, thanks again for coming in. Another great show. Dr. Krauss, thanks again. Uh, thank thank you. you all. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.